心。Yeah, first、um, time. Yeah, so it's it's Sunday. I think the weekend is really <laughs> the only good time. I think for either one of us to really come on and make this happen. We're both pretty busy people. But,、yeah. Um, I'm curious, like right off the bat, like how, like how how does it how does a typical weekend look for you? Because like I think a lot of grad students like come into this like. You know, we see PIs during the week and stuff, but like we never really know what they do like outside of that. You know? Yeah. No, that's a good question. I I think I think I should, you know, starting off, moving to Denver, twenty、um, some years ago. Most weekends had some aspect of work and 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 in a bit. Yeah, I know you mentioned that when we、um, talked last. In a bit, and and part of that also was, I mean, it's a little bit on your trajectory, what what you want to accomplish, and and.、Um, And early on, I, I became a graduate program director. Shortly after, I got my first R01、um, as an assistant professor. And I and and what I found was I I just couldn't really get to、uh, all of the duties that that took that needed during the work week because I was really focused on the science and and experiments and talking to my people and a lot of the things that just needed to be done. I, I realized I just had to do that on the weekend. So I so I was and I was for over a dozen years the graduate program director and I think and it's actually my、uh, Roberta my wife who is the one who brought that up recently to me you know since you stepped down four years ago it's amazing how much time now you are not going into work on the weekends and and of course of when you're writing grants and、uh, you know you're in that grant cycle submitting resubmitting.、Um, That's gotta take up the weekends as well, and so and so there's you know, but 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 it's not that I ever could feel that it was.、Uh, I never felt that that you know it was a chore、mm-hmm. to get up, even for graduate program administrative things. You know, it was my it, I enjoyed doing it. It was my job, and and I wanted to do a good job. So, and and in writing grants, same thing, right? Yes, I didn't get that grant score. Your study section wasn't kind, but you know. It, It's part of the business, and you got to just get back up and and do that. And and I did that because I cared, you know, about the question, and I cared about my research program. So so wasn't onerous in that way. You know, it's not pleasant having to write a lot of grants all the time, but it's not all bad either. The the you know writing a grant and getting it the first time, which is rare, it can happen. You know, I, I don't think those grants are as good of grants as if they came back and said, "We need you to fix some things here." Because、mm-hmm. every time I resubmitted a grant, I said, "Yes, that they made sense." That what they said, you know, not right away, but after thinking about it, okay, I see their angle, and yes, it probably makes it a better grant. Yeah. So you you step down from the chair in was it twenty nineteen? Twenty nineteen. I I took a graduate program director. Yeah.、Right? So yeah. I I took over the graduate program in two thousand and six and. And that's when the department, the immunology department, was at National Jewish Health. Oh, really? I didn't even know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's an interesting story. So the story there is that,、uh, you know, in in the mid '80s, like they did probably in in early '90s across the country, 
a lot of universities separated their microbiology and immunology departments. I went to the university. I did my graduate work at, in Seattle at the University of Washington. Uh -huh. And when I was in graduate school, they did that. They separated the micro and immunology departments. And they did that here, too. And so at that time, the medical school was on the 8th Street campus over closer to downtown. And, and it was kind of a residential area, really crowded. It was So space was always very tight. And when they split up the microbiology and immunology departments, you know, the, with the rationale that these are really different disciplines, ironically, because now we've come back, understanding the host pathogen is, yeah. is obviously a very interesting area. But at that time, they, they split them up. And, and then the question was, what are all these immunologists going to do? Where are they going to be? And National Jewish was just six blocks away from the medical school and had always had a close relationship. And in fact, National Jewish has always had, you know, it's, it's an institution that's been around for over 100 years, always focused on pulmonary care, of which many of their diseases are diseases of the immune system. And so they always had very strong immunologists there that were affiliated with the university. But their employee was National Jewish. And so at that time, they... National Jewish CEO said, why don't we bring all of the CU immunologists over to National Jewish? They will remain CU, but we'll bring them all together. So, you know, I think about 90% of the immunologists for a number of years were at National Jewish. Hmm. Um, and that worked out quite nicely. I think, you know, the National Jewish could say that they house the CU immunology department, you know, great PR. They're, you know, relieve this, the space problem for the dean. But, but the issue was, or, or an issue was that um, all of us CU faculty, when we wrote grants, our grants went through the university. And so the indirect costs, the money that the NIH has to give the institution for you to do this work, you know, turn on the lights, pick up the garbage, the infrastructure, all that money for my grants that went through the university were going to the university. And so I, my lab was at National Jewish. And so as a result, the dean had to pay rent to uh, National Jewish for all the CU faculty. It, it was a good deal. I mean, I don't think it was too, you know, out of, out, you know, it wasn't, they were getting, taking, uh, you know, uh, it was reasonable rent, and, and National Jewish uh, liked that the fact was there. But but when they moved the Anschutz Medical Campus out here to Fitzsimmons, uh, what was the Fitzsimmons old army base, you know, we saw that there was nothing but space out here. Yeah. And so the writing was on the wall. And so so we came in 2001, Roberta and I, we joined the faculty. Um, and then in 2014, we moved the whole uh, department back out here and re-merged with the microbiology department, mm -hmm. which had remained independent and separate. And so that, that happened in 2014, 10 years ago. Interesting. So the department split and then came back together. Exactly, okay. exactly. Kind of, it was, yeah, exactly. It was interesting. And again, and I think that that's going on a lot of places as well. As I mentioned, you know, microbiology and immunology, they, they obviously have some very close connection there yeah. with that host pathogen interface. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's cool. I, I think one thing that comes to my mind when you, when you talk about being the director of like a graduate program is, I, I was just thinking about this, like, People say they like to like teach and like teach students. And I think like when you teach a class, that's one thing. But when you're like the director and you're like kind of shadowing over these developing students, I feel like that's also teaching, but in like a different way, you know, like because I mean, I've seen you on the immunology course. Like I haven't gotten to your lectures yet, obviously, but like it seems like you like to like teach. No, absolutely. A good and, and, and that, too. You're exactly right. So, so there's didactic teaching, the formal teaching, and that's putting a lecture together. I'm going to cover a topic 
what do I got to really yeah. present to the students here and, and how do I want to do that? And that takes a lot of time and that's an energy. And a lot of people do thrive on that and do really well on that. And I, I enjoy that. But there's also then the other aspect, which is this advising mentoring, which I also do with my students and postdocs and technicians in the lab, you know, on a almost daily informal basis. I consider that going in and talking about an experiment, what's a good control, if that's the right control for this experiment. You know, that's kind of this informal mentoring. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, as a director of the program, yeah, what? how do we make this program strong? How do we really make it a good program that that can train the next cohort of, of, of uh, immunological scientists to go out there and do whatever, whether it's going to be basic science or public policy or something, how are they going to use their degree? And that's putting this training program together. And, and, and again, and I did that in, uh, when I started when I was an assistant professor because I cared. And I, I always, and, and so training, that aspect, I kind of understood through my career as a graduate student and a postdoc, and then as a group leader kind of in, in Switzerland where I went, um, that um, it's not the same as didactic teaching, but it's a really something that was really attractive to me is this informal teaching and then the advising and, and, and setting up a training program. And, I, you know, the program here was going and it was very strong. And I hope I could continue that during my tenure. But, but yes, it, more recently, it's been really interesting because now, they, of course, we have these NIH biosketches, which the format is give us your five contributions of scientific contributions, you know, and you in you know in the new biosketch that the NIH has, and so you give them all of your credentials where you did your thing, and then they want to know, give us up to five areas where you have contributed. So in mine, I put, oh, I did this in graduate school, I did this as a postdoc, I did this at the Basel Institute, and here I am now in in Denver, and these are the areas that I'm investigating. But one of the things I've started to uh, think about, and I'm going to, you know, I'm changing my my biosketches. My, one of my contributions, I think, to science is I've, I put a lot of energy into training. And I've trained a lot of the oh, yeah. graduate students, you know, directly and indirectly that go and populate all your labs, all, all the other labs out there in terms of, you know, postdocs and scientists, research scientists. And I, and I, and I think that that's what I've realized is that, you know, that's a, that's, a, that's a nice contribution. And I'm proud of that. And I'm proud that I did that. And, I, and I'm really, you know, for me... I think that's a that's a significant contribution that I that I feel strong about that I've oh, been able to do. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I I, I think about because I'm just in such a different position. You know, I'm this yeah. I'm this first year grad student. Like, I've had more responsibility in my life, I think, than I ever have before. Just at this, but then I like I like look to people like you. You know, who not only are you the, like the PI of a lab. So like for people that don't know, like principal investigators, like it's a person who like runs a research lab and you have to ask the questions and you mentor students and whoever works for you. Yeah. Funding too. And, and then on top of this for over like a decade, you were the director, like a a big question that came to mind before when I was like thinking about this episode Mm -hmm. is like, I think I've always wanted to be kind of my own boss. I feel like that's the, like, that's kind of the dream for a lot of people. You know, you, you can drive your own ship, you know? And I think, what I guess is it is it all that that it's like cut out to be though is what I'm wondering because like I'm already sensing now like I have a tremendous amount of responsibility as a graduate student and like then I look to someone like you and I'm like how do these people do this you know like, <laughs> no it's a good question I, I and, and yes I um I so 
I think the, the, the question is for me and, and for Roberta, my wife, when, when she was, when we were both postdocs or, or junior investigators doing pretty well in the lab and, and, and thinking, do we have an option? Do we have the possibility of, of perhaps running our own research program somewhere as a faculty or, or in some capacity? It doesn't necessarily have to be an academic institution. And, and part of that question is, yeah, do, do you want to run a research program? Do you want to be the driver? Do you want to be the person thinking about what, what the direction of that research program is? Number one. And number two, can you do that, right? Yeah. And those are, I think, the things that you try to understand. I did, at least when I was a graduate student. I, what I realized was, I, of course, at the beginning of any lab experience you come into, you don't, you're, you're, you don't know where everything is. You've got to get a lot of instruction, firsthand instruction. You know, here's where the distilled water is, or, you know, but, but at, at some point, you know, you start doing experiments and I knew I, I was doing, I was proficient at the bench. I felt that I could do experiments. I was starting to think about, and this was as a technician before I started graduate school, yeah. I worked in the lab and, and, and what I realized was that there was these other students and other technicians and, and research scientists. And, and I suddenly started having an opinion about the, their experimental setup. Is that really the best way maybe you should do that experiment? And that's when I started saying, oh, if I have that, maybe I should be thinking about whether I want to run that, you know. It was, it was this understanding that when I was a senior graduate student, oh, I, I had an opinion about how other people were doing their experiments or whether yeah. that was going to be, how valid that was. And, and so, so that told me, yeah, you, I think I, I want to try to run a research program. I, you know, can you do it? The point is, we no one really. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know anyone who I would, of my colleagues who, when they started, said, "Oh, guarantee you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna run a research program. I'm gonna be a faculty." You know, it, it wasn't clear, at least, especially when I was starting out. I mean, um, in graduate school, you know, decades ago, the the things that you did with your PhD was either become an academic or you would go into pharma, big pharma, because biotech wasn't really even starting, just getting off the ground. Yeah. And so and so I all I knew is I started working in the lab as an undergraduate, late really, about late in my junior year, in my senior year. And all of a sudden I said, this biology, this biomedical investigation, I, I like it. It's pretty interesting. And it was all new to me. And I, I very much like the livelihood. I very much like that every day you maybe do a different experiment and you think in different ways. And so, and so for, for me, um, I, I, I realized that I, I really like the livelihood. I went to graduate school. I, I thought I could, you know, I could publish a paper. I could do an experiment. I could start to think. Can you really run a lab? Don't know. I went and did a postdoc, and everyone just said, and the best advice I've, I've ever gotten, and I still give too, is, you know, you find a biological question that, that engages you, that you're really, truly, sincerely interested in, and, and, and that gets you up in the morning and say, yeah, I, I need to find out the answer to this. And so then I did a postdoc, and again, things went well. I, I saw that I was good at the bench, and I was working on an interesting problem, and I start to think. Um, and, and the point being, you... You just keep going, and, and I published some nice papers, and I saw, oh, man, I'm in a position to perhaps look for a lab, you know, a position to run a lab at, a, at an institution. And so, um, and, and uh, came to the U.S., looked at a few universities, was invited to, to, to apply at a few different universities, um, and you get a job, and, and I tell you, so the point is we 
chose Denver. We liked very much the science that was here. We liked the immunology that was going on. And the, and the shock of it is, is you get your lab, the chair says, here's your office, uh, here's your lab. You know, benches are completely empty. There's nothing in the office. Go write an R01. Okay. <laughs> you know, I, it's I a had, big fee. <laughs> I, I had spent 10 years in Europe by this time. I came back. I didn't even know what an R01 was. Literally. I mean, I'm not joking. I Googled it <laughs> and said, okay, I can, I'll, you know. And I looked to Roberta and, you know, we said, neither of us had ever written an R01. It was second language for Roberta, English. And we kind of, and, and, and what we've done the whole time always is, well, let's just see. We've got to try. Maybe this is it. Maybe this is the end. Who knows? But, you know, so far it's not been bad. It's been a good run. So if it ends here and it's all possible, we, we may find we can't put down anything on paper worth, you know, funding. Um, but it's just trying. And, and, and so what becomes clear is I don't think that the faculty, you know, all the, my colleagues on this campus, it's, it's not that they, everyone who's made got a faculty position is a brilliant, brilliant scientist. These are guys who are bright, who understand the biological question they're asking, but they just get up every day and show up. And that's that persistence part. So you, you I mean, and that's why it's, that's almost, that's really the key. And that's what I tell my trainees. If you care about the question enough, you're just going to keep getting up and, 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 and guess what? You just keep hitting it and, and, and things can happen. Maybe not right away. And if you have thick skin and don't take it personally, you can just keep going. And, and it's really the people who just continue to do that who end up in these positions. And, and so, right? And so, so that's kind of how I've looked at that always. I've just cared enough. And I still care. I love the science we're doing. I got, you know, different projects going on. And they both engage me a lot. And I love thinking about them, you know. And that's not a bad livelihood, in my opinion, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I really like that. I This is funny because I... I was talking to Zoe one day, another another first year, and she rotated with you yeah. a couple months ago. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, yeah, she said that was one of the things that like you told her is that like no matter what, you just if, if you think it's going to be a good day or a bad day or whatever, you just go every day and you just do your best. And I think it's it's a very simple thing, yeah. but I think it's well, you know, it, it's I tell you, and also because I've had a number of trainees come through and, and rotating students and summer students. And, and what's really, really clear is that pushing science forward is not easy. No, it's hard. Not. It'll kick your butt. <laughs> and, you know, and, I've, and I often said, it, you know, if it was easy, there'd be a lot of biomedical investigators out there, right? It's crazy still how many there are. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But for and, how and, difficult right. it is. And, you and, know? So like, it, and so it will kick you on your butt. And, and, and therefore, it, you know, I, I yeah. It's easy to walk away from. Who needs this? Who needs this in their life, right? And that's, again, where, well, I really think this, you know, concept, this question I'm addressing just fascinates me. I, I, I care about it. I want to understand, right? You know, initially things like how is a postdoc and his graduate student, how do B lymphocytes develop? How do they get these antigen receptors that are all different and fascinating? When I learned about, you know this VDJ recombination in the somatic cells that are precursor lymphocytes. What a fascinating, I, I just thought that's just incredible. And then this whole idea that continues to, uh, you know, attract me, my attention, this self, non-self, right? 
fundamental, right? How, how does this immune system develop? How does the adaptive immune system develop to, to be able to distinguish cell from non-self and then, and then provide this adaptive immune response that's highly specific? I find that that, you know, we know a lot of things about that, a lot of aspects, but a lot we still don't know. And so, and so you know, those are the types of things that, that, that have always really intrigued me at a high level that, and, and that I began to think, oh, maybe you can start to approach, you, maybe, you, you know, maybe you have systems or, or thoughts, uh, uh, angles that, that are worth pursuing to address these questions, right? Hmm. And, and, and with that is, I think, the interesting thing is that everyone, you and me, are unique in the sense of our uh, scientific experience, research experiences. Yeah. Of course, I have more than you. You're starting out, but you've already worked in a number of different labs, undergraduate labs. And now you're rotating. And um, I, I tell you, I still remember rotation projects that I did decades ago that weren't the lab I stayed in. Oh, but I learned how to do that. You pick that up lab. little skills, yeah. And uh-huh. then, yeah, and then just the science that's going around in the seminars you go to, right? I was in, you know, I was in a microbiology program, but with immunology focus. And so I actually had to go to microbiology journal clubs and immunology journal clubs, you know, as part of my graduate program. Uh, and I went to both. And so I learned a lot about the different, you know, microbiological research studies and immunological studies. And it's that diversity of experience that makes you unique. You, you've, you've, you know, you've seen things and you've um, absorbed different things from different places. And, and I, I think one of the things I do is I have a very good ability to remember some of these aspects and put them together. I have a good way of my memory is pretty good in, 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 in that regard of scientifically thinking, oh, someone did that experiment, you know, wasn't even in this area of immunology or doing something, but they had a question that was addressing something that was similar. Let me think about that. And how would that help me here? So, so it's that diversity. So everyone comes with a, 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 a unique point of view and mm-hmm. that can be valuable at some point in some scientific question yeah and i think that that's pretty neat it's crazy i, I it's crazy how you say you mentioned those rotation projects even though they were so yeah. long ago like i i even think like even five years ago you know when i started in a lab like i still remember a lot of those fundamentals and i i think some of those things i don't even I don't even know that I know them anymore because they're just subconscious to me. It's yeah. like, yeah, I would never mix this with yeah. this because yeah. back then when sophomore year of college, that happened and that was like not a good outcome. Yeah, you know, yeah. your brain just like remembers yeah. this stuff. It's, yeah. it's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that's, that's how it was for me as an undergrad. I, you know, I, I saw a lot of my friends who were also interested in research. They're really, they, they, they got in one lab and they stayed and they really focused hard on that project. And, I, I do think there's something to say for that, you know, dedication, just you really get to know that project really well. But as an undergraduate for me, I was like, I don't know if this is even what I want to do. You know, I'm not. So I saw it more as a time for me to just kind of like, oh, I'm going to bounce around here, bounce around here. And I like I, I think for me personally, I think it's different for every person. But that that really did a lot for me because I I was able to pull these different skills from these different mentors, like you said. And mm-hmm. now instead of just me having all my skills from this one mentor, I have skills pulled from three like really brilliant mentors mm-hmm. that yeah. maybe one's lacking in one area, but then this other one is really excelling in this area. And I can kind of pull those together. And before you know it, like that 
that becomes me as a, as a scientist, you know. You're, and you're was, the accumulation of yeah, all these experiences. Yeah. I agree. I, and I, I really thought it was, it was yeah, a cool yeah. way to yeah, do yeah. it. Yeah, and I think about that all the time. Things I learned in graduate school, molecular biology. I started, you know, doing cloning genes, you know, before we, had, you know, the genomes had been, you know, uh, characterized, the mouse and human genome. You know, my, my PhD was cloning important genes, surface receptor, the genes for the surface receptors on B lymphocytes, right? Today I could go pull that sequence down in thirty seconds, right? Yeah. From a, from from the but it, and it took me you know five years to clone a couple of them, and and uh, but but it's the experience and, and learning you know and I molecular biology got that under my my belt and I went and did a postdoc, and at the postdoc they it was just gene targeting was the new frontier right and needed a lot of molecular biology because again we had to go clone out the gene we wanted to target right there was we had to get backs with you know certain pieces of chromosome on them and and start to map them and you know it was it was it was uh, and and so you did a tremendous amount of molecular biology to make your targeting construct and then you had a you know and, and then you put it into these embryonic stem cells and look for homologous recombinants and then mm. grow them up and then inject these ESL homologous recombinants into blastocysts and 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 what's interesting about that is I, I, I definitely remember this was my postdoc in Germany is went there and was doing a gene targeting project and I and it just I just felt so much of what I'm doing and learning doesn't really have anything to do with my scientific question. I want to know what this gene is doing. I'm knocking it out to look at how it behaves in B cell biology. But I had to go, you know, I was I was well versed in molecular biology, so that was a bonus. But, you know, I never touched, uh, you know, these embryonic stem cells. I had done tissue culture, but, uh, you know, those were these embryonic stem cells. This was a different type of tissue culture. You had to be really baby them. I mean, you, uh, there was no vacation during that period. Yeah. <laughs> Zero. Weekends either, right? You Every day, you know. And when they were getting, you know, when you, right before you were going to be injecting them and you're growing them up to, to, to numbers, you'd feed them in the morning and you'd feed them in the afternoon, Right. Because that you were just so worried about them, the media depleting and them starting to differentiate, and then you had to go put them in a, a blastocyst, right? And so, well, what do you? How do you do that? Well, it's got to be a blastocyst from a pseudo-pregnant female. Okay, how do you do that? Well, you've got to mate this female with a vasectomized male. So you better learn how to do a vasectomy in a mouse. <laughs> Really? <laughs> really? I, I mean, that's incredible. Okay, and and you do that, right? And then um, you know, you the breeding of them, making sure you you know you, this is well in advance because you want to make sure your your male is not fertile, that you did a good job in the vasectomy, and so you have to you know understand. Yep, they can't produce uh, babies. Um, you use that vasectomized male, you, 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 you do this. And then you, we had to do this all on this, you know, microscope, uh, high-powered microscope with hydraulics, right? And so you're grabbing with these very tiny pipettes that, you, that we actually had to make because they weren't commercially available. So we'd spend half a day taking a Pasteur pipette, taking it in the flame and drawing it out and then breaking it with a razor and then looking at each one of them oh at the goodness. end under a dissecting scope, whether they had the right bevel, right, and, and angle. And, and then you put these, these precious needles aside because those are the needles you're going to use to inject your blastocyst, in, your, your ES cells into the blastocyst. 
And that was all new. I mean, that was like video games, right? Because you're just, and, and people, you're doing hydraulics, to messing with hydraulics to move, pick up your blastocysts and your ES cells. You got a little, you know, mouth pipette you're even using while you're doing this. Incredible. <laughs> and, 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 and just technically, I had colleagues that just could not do that. They weren't, you know, hand-eye coordination was, was difficult. If you're a little shaky, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and, and, and so the, the point being is I often sat there and I said, this, what, what, you know, this is madness. <laughs> what have why, you why am I doing this? this? <laughs> you know, I have this question about B cells. <laughs> And their development. And here I had to spend six months, you know, just completely doing this off the side. But, you know, on the flip side, you, you finally get those blastocysts transferred into a pseudo-pregnant female. You know, 20 days later, they, they deliver these pups and you go and you see that they're chimeric, you know. And that's then thrilling. You just say, wow. And then you, you let them grow and you breed them and, you, and then the next step was this germline transmission. It was this whole process that took me completely. And, and, and I was frustrated a lot. And um, what I didn't appreciate, and I should have because in, in retrospect, my, my, my graduate student, P.I., had told me and he had said, you know, he had done his postdoc in, in London with a guy named Av Mitchinson, an old cellular immunologist. Um, Great uh, immunologist, Av Mitchinson, and he and my postdoc, my graduate student advisor at Clark, who did a postdoc with him, and he was there in London in 1976 when Kohler and Milstein published how you how to make a hybridoma, make a monoclonal antibody, and so he, you know everyone thought or understood that that was a huge advancement, yeah. and so he went up the road to where Caesar Milstein's lab was and learned how to do make you know, monoclonal, how to make a hybridoma. And he said, with that knowledge, he went to Seattle and was, when he moved to Seattle, you know, this is probably in the late, uh, late 70s, early 80s. He said, I was one of three people who could make a monoclonal antibody in Seattle. And, and I got my job just because I could do that. Got my faculty job. And so he said, and, and the point is, and so, and so for me, learning, you know, there was not a core when I went to post to do my postdoc to make a uh, targeted mouse. S- soon afterwards, everyone understood this process is really, you know, elaborate and you, we need cores and cores set up. In fact, so the point being is that with that knowledge, after I think my first few years, four years at uh, in, in, in Cologne and, and things were going well, I hadn't published yet, but I was very close. I knew it was going to be a big paper. I, I came back to the States to see about maybe looking at positions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went, and I only came to Seattle, and I went, and, and what I realized right away was, yes, the University of Washington would have hired me as a faculty, but with the, with the primary goal of setting up an ESL. The fact that I could do all of it, the molecular biology, the tissue culture with ESL, the mouse work, the genetics... They said, if you can that's do all crazy. that, we, we want, you know. They want the skill. They yeah, want the skill so, because we know wow. that's in demand. And, and the take-home, the take-home, take-home is is you master a cutting-edge technology. You know, I, I highly encourage that always. You master a cutting-edge cutting technology, you're going to be valuable huh. in the next, in wherever you go and take that with you. Again, in the depths of that, I, I, I couldn't see that. And I was quite frustrated. Like I said, I, I, I thought... I'm spending so much time here doing these things that, you know, aren't really with my biological question in mind. But but the fact is, again, what I realized is, oh, 
yeah, that was really useful and really advantageous. And in fact, one of the upshots of that whole thing was, is I wrote this, I wrote a, uh, a like a technical manual, Oxford University, University Press published this uh, book I wrote. Uh, it was basically a manual as a postdoc, and, and it was how to how to do ESL work and how to use Cree-LOX-P because that was brand new. It had really been introduced mm. in, in, in the lab I was at in Cologne, Germany. It was the first labs to use that with gene targeting. And, um, and, and so I had written all of these protocols down on my um, brand new first ever Mac laptop PowerBook 140, <laughs> and I had just faithfully wrote, written down all these protocols because when I was start went there, it was so brand new that there was nothing literally written down in terms of a pro- lab protocol. It was it was word of mouth. The the postdoc ahead of me yeah. was one of the first to do it, be doing this, and so I just faithfully wrote everything down on this PowerBook with the idea that I just want to hold a, a really comprehensive I'm the same way. set of protocols that mm-hmm. I could take wherever I go. And then what happened was that uh, Roberta Pilanda came as a postdoc into the lab and from Milan, and she was going to work on a, a targeting project. And so I think, you know, probably don't press her. I, I printed out all of these notes I had. I, these might help you. And, and so she had, you know, kind of collated, accumulated them. And suddenly everyone in the lab thought, oh, these are really useful. And so everyone in the lab had a copy. And then they started asking, you know, do you think it's okay if we fax this to such and such a lab? They were very interested in it. And, and right away, we suddenly saw that this, we, we call it the Cologne Guide at the time. It was just called the Cologne Guide. And, and it was really kind of informally written, not in a very scientific way. It was yeah. like go to the tissue culture room, third drawer, and take <laughs> out these, you know, these forceps. Um, and, so, and so, but I had it, so I changed that, and, and, and this clone guide suddenly, was, we, we understood, was, was, was all over, was in the States, at different places. And that's when, when Klaus, my PI, came and said, you know, this, this whole area is still pretty novel, and Crelox P in particular. So, so maybe this would be good if we shopped this around. And in fact, so we, we did in, in Oxford University Press picked it up and, and, and we published that. And, and it, you know, it was a nice work. And so half of it is really the first, it's two sections. The first half is this thing about Crelox P. What is it? And how might you use it in, in, in analysis of, you know, in, in biomedical investigation, um, in vivo mouse work. And then the second um, half is the practical work. How do, you, how do you make EF cells? How do you grow ES cells? How do you make embryonic fibroblasts to grow the embryonic stem cells on? You know what? Are, what's the media? How often should you you know change the media? What do you look for? And and just all of the technical aspects of, of working with with ES cells and and and, and like as I said, and, and transferring them into a blastocyst and transferring that blastocyst into a into a, a pseudo pregnant female. Yeah, yeah. So it's nice. I have uh, and, and and then Oxford. I think we published that uh, geez, pro- approaching you know thirty years ago, and. Um, uh, they asked us shortly after. I, I did it with another graduate student. Actually, I was a postdoc, and there was a graduate student in the lab, a guy named Ralph Kuhn, who uh, was was the one who was really also well versed in this Crelox P. And so, so together we we, we wrote this this this, uh, this book, and that that Oxford University Press uh, published. Yeah, yeah. And then they asked us to 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 update it. I think a few years later. And, and by then, I had left Cologne. I was in Basel. And Ralph and I discussed it, and, and basically I, I was really busy, and, and this whole field was exploding. And so there was so much, there was so many more Cree transgenic mice 
to you know that and we just felt we couldn't give it a good justice the the whole the whole feel and so we passed i didn't i didn't ever update that 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 uh, manual yeah. yeah now i i i think what really stands out to me in that entire story is just like you go on this long journey you know you you just have this question and this is such like a a scientist way of thought like it's just you have these questions that you just you can't stand not to answer. You need to answer them. And you you go, right? And before you knew it, you're you're doing all this crazy stuff that you never thought you would do. And you, you know, I, I think that's like a, a big takeaway from from what I heard you were saying. Because I think your, your 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 statement, you, you can't stand not to know. Yeah. So so you're willing to go yeah. to these incredible extents. Oh, I have to I don't know. This is just one example. You know, I want to look at, you know, for my project, we're, we're looking at neutrophil recruitment during like streptococcus pneumonia infection. And you're like, you want to see the differences between a couple treatment groups. And I'm like, okay, how do I, how do I get at this? And, you know, like I've never used a flow cytometer before. So we're, so we're looking into flow cytometry and I'm just like, you know, I, I want to get at the bottom of this question so bad that I'm like, okay, that is incredibly intimidating this machine, but I need to answer my question, so I don't. I don't really care how intimidating it is. And, and that's exactly what it is. You know, you pick up all these skills along the way, and you're like, I don't know why I'm doing this. But I think the ironic thing about that story is that then those skills that you know you, you, that wasn't even you were just trying to answer this question, right? And like, I I think for me, like, if I could answer this question and tell people about it, like that would be the stuff that could maybe get me hired as a faculty member or like have me do this stuff. But it's ironic because it was really those skills that set you apart from everyone else. And the skill that you were like, Oh, I guess I'll do this because I have to get to this question. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Do you, you know, do you have any desire to learn how to vasectomize a a mouse? No. (laughs) But But, if it, if it, if if I need to answer a question and do it, yes, then I do. (laughs) You know, (laughs) exactly, exactly, exactly. That's, that's, that's right. And, and, and that continues, you know, I mean, exactly as, as you go, I, I, my research has, has taken, you know, turns based on some of the results we've had and and suddenly you know as a b-cell biologist trained in b-cell biology for for many years and 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 thinking a lot about how they respond to antigen and humoral antibody response how they develop you know how central tolerance is regulated how peripheral tolerance is regulated and suddenly i i find myself in an area that CD8 T cell cytotoxicity, right? <laughs> and that's not so far different, but but it, it, like it, how did you end up here? You know, yeah. yeah. But how do you end up there? And then, and then it's just the diving in, and and that's part of this business that 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 is continual learning, right? I yeah. mean, I I could have studied B cells and never looked at a CD8 T cell my whole career, I very easily. But I took this and I followed it because it was the it was made the, it was the natural path for this direction of research. And, um, and that's what I had to do. And so, yeah, I'm going to learn, you know, and I knew a, a, quite a bit about T-cell development, you know, the parallels between B-cell development and T-cell development are many. And so I knew quite a bit about how T-cells developed and, and the parallels there. But as far as their effector functions, right, that was a lot different. And I, and I knew about them, but I didn't know them in detail. But now we've actually dove into them and have looked at mechanisms of how cytotoxic CD8 T cell, you know, actually forms this synapse with their target cell that they're going to 
need to kill and how they release their granules in, in a directed fashion to, to kill a, a target cell, right? And so suddenly that becomes an area that I've, I've, I've learned quite a bit about it, and maybe I can, can, can provide some new insight into that area. Yeah, and, it, and, it's, and it's new, and for me, it's like, it's incredibly stressful, but it's, it's, it's a challenge, and I'm like, I'm such a fan of just being waking up every morning and just yeah. like kind of scratching my brain and be like, Man, this is hard, but I love it. You yeah, know? And yeah. It's just and, and it's re- and because it's hard, it, you know, it, and um, it's rewarding. Yes, yeah, and so, incredibly. And so and so, I've always often felt that about you know my, my job, and 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 I, I've note I've noted early on, I've you know friends and colleagues or or particularly old friends from growing up, you know. And from college, you know, I think there are a lot of them. Many of them probably make a lot more money than I do, but I I, I also know that they you know, that, that their work is just work to get money yeah, and, and their life begins when they, when they get home. And I understand that too. Right. But, but, but I think this business, at least for me and, you know, people I surround myself with in the businesses is that, that it's, it's also a bit of a, a way of life and, 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 you know, and so, and so I'm married to another professor. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that's got its great benefits. It's got some drawbacks. Right. I mean, there's certain times when, you know, I might be just fed up. I'll come home and I'm just, I can't, I can't think about science anymore. And she'll be jazzed as anything and want to talk or vice versa. And so we've had to understand how to, how to, how to do that. But, but overall, I, it's, um, it's this thing where it's this, it's this livelihood that, um, that uh, uh, I put a lot of energy in, um, but, but it, it, it gives me these rewards. It gives me, I, I, I find it very worthwhile. It gives me worth to say, what I'm doing is doing biomedical investigation that's publishing and, and pushing science forward, right? And so and that's just a nice, that's a nice way to live. That's a nice thing to say. That's your, that's your livelihood. I don't, I'm not, I'm, I don't, you know, I'm happy to tell anyone that and that I meet, you know, if they want to ask what I do, you know, well, I'm, a, I'm an immunologist. I study the immune system. And, uh, you know, and, and, and like I said, that's, that gives me a lot of worth. Um, yeah. It does. I, I, I feel the exact same when, you know, when, when my friends from back home ask me what I'm up to and I, you know, I say like, I'm an immunologist. I study the immune system. Like I, I just feel, I feel like so cool, you know, because I think it's such a cool topic that it's just like, oh, it's just, it's, it's so cool to be able to, but when you're in day in, day out, you don't, you don't think of it like that. And I think that's, that's one lesson that I've, I've, I've had to, I've had to learn, I think. Yeah. It's, it, yeah. 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 You, you, of course you're not thinking, oh man, this is a privilege every day. Especially no, when the experiments it's so hard are going to think south. that way. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, but it, but exactly. But, 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 but in the end, I tell you what, what happens is you, you, you get a paper accepted, you know, you get a grant funded, you know, those are things, those are, those are, um, those are basically your, your peers, your scientific peers telling you, 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 you're, 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 you're on track and you're doing, you're doing things that are worthwhile. You know, when you get a grant, you, that is a study section, you know, 15, 20 of the peers, your peers across the country that are saying, yes, you know, we think Dr. Torres is doing uh, interesting work and we're going to, we're going to fund it at this level. I mean, so that's, that's quite an affirmation for you. Getting a paper published also, right, is yes, you get these reviewers, you know, very interesting. Always, you know, there's always an issue and you have to uh, revise and maybe make it a little bit better. But those are, those are those, those points where you start to say, yes, that's, that's, that's rewarding, right? Yeah. And then for me, those, those big moments always, 
I think force, and I think this is important because sometimes I, I tend to skip this, but it, it, it forces this introspection and kind of like reflection and it allows you to zoom out and, and be kind of fascinated and be like, you publish this paper and then automatically my mind goes to, well, when, what was that first experiment when I started on this? And you think back maybe two, three years ago and you're like, wow, like, yeah, yeah. I've come a long ways and you have this formulated story that people can follow and I, I just think for me, it's, and I, I hear this a lot of, from a lot of my friends in and out of science, you know, it's, it's this, when I get this terminal job, you know, then, then that's when life really starts. Or when I get this, when I get that, when I publish this paper, when I get this grant, but it's like, for me, I, I'm trying to find this, instead of getting to that point, like, you know, just, just coming in every day and being like, no, this is, I've been wanting to do this for years and Maybe I'm here it and it, and some days suck, yeah. but at the end of the day, like I'm, I'm, I'm progressing towards becoming a really good and powerful and yeah. smart scientist, yeah, you absolutely. know? Absolutely, like, exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I remember, I, I remember when I started graduate school, I remember the feeling very well, not when I started graduate school, but when I applied and thinking, I have a chance of getting in. Yeah. Right, I remember school. that thought too, and I remember yeah. thinking, and and man, my future is just in all of it's in front of me because I can do something. I think in this area, I, I I like it, you know. And it, and again, it was it was conceptual a lot of it at that time. I mean, I had worked as a technician for a little bit, but I had you know in, in undergraduate, I had taken these classes and and in immunology and 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 a great example was. I remember one of my first immunology classes. It was known and is you know for many years that. B cells make antibodies against a foreign antigen, but they need T cell help. So what does that mean? And then I learned, well, the T cell has to see that same foreign antigen and be specific for it. And then it's got to find the B cell. And the B cell and the T cell that are specific for the same foreign antigen have to physically interact. I thought that was nuts. I said, well, how many, how many lymphocytes are in the body? Right? And how many would be specific for any given antigen? You know, and people have made those calculations. You know, one in a million, one in 10,000. It depends maybe on the antigen. I don't know. But the point was you have these relatively rare lymphocytes, and they both have to see whatever has infected you. And then they both have to find each other in your body somewhere and physically interact. It's mind-blowing. And I said, how does that happen? And, 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 this, and the professor said, we just don't know. I remember I mean, that's and you that, never I, forget those moments. I, exactly, yeah. and that right then said, "Well, could I do something to think about that?" You know, and I couldn't at the time, but I thought that can't be, you know, that that should be tractable. We should be able to think about how that's, to approach that. Yeah, that's how I think. And, too. and maybe I want to help on that type of thing, right? And so, so that's what you keep finding those type of things like that, and that's yeah, and so and and yeah, and so that's kind of you know, and and that I was in a position I had studied my science and I knew that that's kind of an area I had I was attracted to me then yeah yeah that that's one of the coolest things about uh, I got that a little bit in undergrad but I think especially in these like upper level like graduate school courses is you you get to this point and you you ask enough questions and you you know enough about the field to ask these questions and then they go we don't know the answer to that and I go 
well, how, how, how do we not? Like, what? Like, it just doesn't make sense. Like, yeah, it's just, I, I, I agree. You, you just grow up, no, like, you know, whatever, whatever question you have, I, you know, I was such a question guy growing up. Like, I'd constantly ask my parents questions to the point of just annoyance, but, you know, they, they'd always have an answer. Yeah. And it, you, you grow up and you're like, okay, humans know everything. And it's so, yeah, yeah. It, it just, it's dumbfounding when you get to research and, you're like, oh, we don't know the answer to that, you know. It's like, let's. No, you know, it's still, it's still, and it's still what I, I tell you. Still, again, what gets me up. So, you know, another great example. You know, we vaccinate. We know how important that is empirically. It's just so important, and the whole purpose, of course, is is to generate these memory B cells that will hang around, and next time you see them, we'll be able to really quickly, uh, you know, neutralize and, and eradicate um, whatever is whatever is affecting you. Um, but, but the point is, how does a memory B cell develop? I mean, what are the signals? We, we, we know that they come from this germinal center, this structure that, that, that is formed during, during a humoral antibody response where B cells mutate their receptors. These class switch. They, they, they change their, the isotype that they express. And we know types of things that go on in that germinal center. And the output of that germinal center is these B cells that have been mutating and selecting, being selected, they come out either as a plasma cell that's going to start making that antibody to mm-hmm. take care of whatever you know is infecting you, or they become a memory cell, so they bifurcate. It's a bifurcation coming out of there. What drives that bifurcation? Yeah. We don't know, yeah. right? Crazy, right? And if we did, maybe we could manipulate it. We can make memory better or, or the actual effector antibody response better. You know, those, those we don't know. What are the molecular cues? What, ha, what cells have to be there and contribute to that? We still don't know. We're getting closer. And a lot of people, there's a lot of intense investigation there, you know. Uh, but that's the type of thing that you say, geesh. And we've been vaccinated for how long, right? And this is the outcome. This is the result. But we just don't know a lot still about that. And so, you know, that's, I guess, job security. Yeah. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. yeah. If you're an academic, for sure. Yeah. I, one, one thing I, I've been thinking a lot about is, you know, I, I think how you're in these different positions and, mm-hmm. um, the level of our, our stress is different. You know, we, we, we have different levels of problems and different things, you know? Um, I, I think for me, it's like, a common problem that I've been running into is, you know, you there there just comes a certain point some of these days where you get so many things thrown at you, X, Y, Z, that you're almost, there's just days where you're just like overwhelmed with stress. And I'm sure you've had this time and time again throughout your career. What What is like a way for you personally that you find that you're able to deal with the stress? And do you zoom out? Do you pause? Like how do, how do what works best for you? Well, you know, yeah, I think everyone deals with it a little bit differently, and it is inherent. And and in in this in my position, I think yeah. any you know position where you where you advance, you 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 accumulate, you you deal with more stress. Um, a few things, you know. So so one is just what are you going to take on, and what do you have to take on, right? Maybe at your point, you have no choice. Some of these things that are adding the stress in your life are are mandatory, and you have to just do them. But for for example, I get you know I get asked, will you you know take over? Will you be part of this committee? Will you chair a search committee? 
for something and okay, you know, and, and part of it is, okay, how much time is that going to take for me? Yeah. And I give a lot to that. I'll give it a lot. If I take this on, I'll give it a lot. I'll do a good job because yeah. that's what I do. I want to do that. And is it, and is it, and, but, but if I take it on, I can't do a good job. And I know that I'm, I don't have the time maybe necessary to do it as good as I can. Is it worth taking on that job? So, so maybe, maybe not. Is it that someone else is going to take on that job and give it 100% and do better than me at doing that job? Then I will step back. Or is 80% of my, you know, what I can do on that job going to be good enough for that job? Right? I mean, if I can't give it 100% because I've got so much going on, is it going to be worth it? Is it worth it for the people who want me to do that job yeah. if I do 80% or whatever? So so that's the type of part of it is, is understanding. For me, is, is, is kind of thinking about everything that's on my plate and, and prioritizing what I take on and what not. But something that I have realized more recently, I'd say in the last you know, 10, 15 years, I think that is really interesting is that when you first start, when I first started out, of course, getting a grant, an R01 was critical, right, is to my livelihood. And as I told you, we got here, they said, go write an R01. And can we do it? I don't know, right? So just have to go and that's got to be a big focus. But it's a huge stress. If I don't have an R01, I don't get it. I don't keep my job. Huge amount of stress. So yeah. you just put everything you have into that, into that bucket, and it causes a huge amount of strain. And and so and 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 that's what that's what you do. And then you wait for the did you get it or not? Oh no, but it looks promising. Here's some comments. Let's see if I can address that. You send it back in. Okay. And what I realized was at some point was I would turn in a grant that was like I said maybe critical for my livelihood. If I don't get the grant in this round or next, I might be in trouble. Yeah. And so, of course, that's pressure and that's a lot of stress. And, and I get that out the door and I send it off and it's such a big relief and you say, great. Then I say, what's next on my list of priorities, <laughs> right? And then there's this number two that's been hanging out there until I get this grant out. And it's not nearly as impactful or important for my career as that as getting that grant out and getting that grant. Hmm. But what I found was I was find, I was putting that same stress and pressure on myself for the second job. And, and I have to stop and say, what are you doing? This isn't as important as that. Why are you as stressed about it? And it was this kind of, aha, oh, that's, that's my MO. That's my modus operandi. That's how I get things done, is I need to put that on there. If I didn't feel that pressure, I might, you know, I just that's not going to get done or not going to get done in a nice way or a timely way. And so that, you know, I, and I realized I, maybe I would have that same pressure if I was, you know, pushing a broom. You know, maybe these bristles aren't tough enough. I can't get those corners, right? I mean, that's the type of thing that I just do and how I feel it. And so, and so, but understanding that, oh, this is, Still, this is this this I'm I'm feeling stressed and pressured on this job I have, but it doesn't have the same significance as whether I can get a grant or not. Has been very very helpful in dealing with it. So so understanding that while I'm having that pressure, oh I'm having this pressure and stress because that's how I get things done, but it's not that important. You know what I mean? And so that for me, uh, under, making that di the difference. Helps me a lot then with, 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 with understanding that, you know, yes, I'm putting the stress on, but it's, it's not the stress of 
job or no job. It's it's a much lower stress. It's much it, the ramifications are much lower, mm-hmm. even though the stress might be the same. And um, but but I know that the ramifications are not as big, and so and so that helps me deal with that and and understand. Oh, you need that. I put that on myself. So so I'm curious in those situations where, you know, maybe this R O one really does matter for your career, yeah. and you find that you're in the situation where it, this is important and this really yeah. like does matter. How, you know, you, you say you write this grant, then you submit it, then it's like, ugh, you know, it's this exhale. Like, I, I'm curious when you're, when you're in the thick of that grant writing where you're like, oh man, like this is, this oh, is, this no, is yeah, tough. Yeah. No, no, you know? I, I don't like, know that I do very well. What do you well. do for those days? Yeah, because I don't know those if I do the very days. well. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, I grit and grit my teeth and bear it. Right. I mean, you got to just, you just got to lower your head. And, and always throughout the career, I've had that. Whether it was a graduate student or postdoc, there are times when you just got to put your head down and say, okay, yeah. I, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to have to just get this done for, for a long, you know. And, and, and it's getting in the, the mental set to say, okay, I got I to gotta do that. Uh, you know, uh, I'm going to have to go home. I don't know anything about this, you know, this area that I think I need to, to, to study or to experiment in. I better go and I'll go home and I'll just start reading and reading and I'll spend time just devouring the literature in that area coming up. And I get really nervous because I see the deadlines coming and I haven't yeah. put anything to paper yet, yeah. but I'm just absorbing. And I found that that's, for me, a good way to work. And I, yeah. I do that until until I find that I'm at a point where... And, and I'm always writing a few things down. I have a p- pad of paper, a computer, and I'm yeah. writing, you know, sentence fragments I know are important. And I kind of keep a running list as I'm reading all this literature. And then I find a time where, okay, now's the time I've, I've really read enough. And I and I think I've got a good grasp. And then I put things down in terms of what the nuts and bolts of a, of a grant I'm going to write now. So, Interesting, but but it's that yeah, and it's just getting in that and, and saying okay, I know for the next you know month, you know and and because it depends you know at the beginning writing a grant took long time and it's, it gets it gets better and better you know as you understand what what areas are important, um, but uh, yeah yeah and, and and it's accepting that and saying you know I, I kind of have a an anecdote about that maybe that's related is I had a graduate student once and we were let me try to think about this. Um, we were trying to identify uh, these antigen-specific B cells from a mouse that was not immunized, so a naive mouse. And we used the antigen as a, a fluorochrome-labeled antigen to pull out from a wild-type repertoire of a mouse B cells that were specific for that antigen. But we knew that they weren't going to be very high affinity because they weren't immunized, they weren't mutated, so they were probably going to have weak affinity for that antigen. And the idea was what had come along the pike was the ability to take a single B cell, put it into a single well of a 96-well plate, and then amplify up its antigen receptor genes for the heavy chain and light chain, right? This, was, this came about, you know, uh, maybe 15 years ago, this technology to do this. And so we said, let's pull out these antigen-specific B cells from a naive mouse and we're going to use this single cell method to clone out their antigen receptor. But because it was weak affinity, I was worried that a lot of them would not be very specific at all. They may be reactive with the antigen we're giving, and we may, we may be able to isolate them by cloning, by, by, by sorting from in the flow cytometer into a single well. But I was worried that they weren't going to be very specific to that, to that antigen. 
And so we tested that through some pilot experiments and found out, yes, that it wasn't. We didn't generate any of these antibodies by molecular cloning, as I was just talking about. We were, we were kind of evaluating that, and it turned out we said, this is not going to work. That's a lot of work to clone an individual B cell um, antigen receptor, and so we don't want to go down that path unless we know it's going to be informative. And our pilot experiments indicated that that wasn't going to work, that, that pulling out these B cells from a naive mouse with the specificity wasn't going to give us what we needed. And so I said, well, the alternative, and, it, and again, this becomes how important is doing that question. The alternative is we could do the old-fashioned way, and that is we'll just take a naive mouse and we will fuse all of their B cells to uh, hi, uh, make hybridomas from them and randomly test, right, from a naive mouse making hybridomas for the specificity we're interested in brute force. And I approached my student and said, you know, well, if we want to answer that, you know, we have to discuss this because if we want to answer that, our approach isn't going to work and we need a different approach. And it might be this hybridoma, which is, would be laborious. Yeah. Thousands. We're going to have to, you have to maybe generate thousands of hybridomas and test their supernatants for specificity, right? And I remember, so I, I kind of said, you know, we, maybe this isn't, maybe, you know, how important is, is, is the question? And, you know, is this an approach that you think is feasible? And I, I remember that she said, well, she came in, I think, a couple days later, and she said, I'll block off these two months. Oh, my goodness. And I'll just come in every day and set up hybridomas and set up the testing of them. And I'll just... And, and she came in and, and like spent zen-like time at the tissue culture hood for two months, right? Oh, gosh. But she got them. And she wow. got them and, and she got a nice paper because she could then, you know, talk about them and as compared to, you know, immunized mice anyway. But that was part of it. And it was part of it. You know, I couldn't, I, I didn't feel I could, you know, that's, is that something I would do? Maybe. <laughs> is it something I could ask a trainee to do? Maybe not. Yeah. If they were, if they were interested and they were willing yeah, then, but, but, but I, I, I wasn't going to ask, or, you know, that, that, that would be, you know, that, that, yeah, that was a, that was a, that was a burden. Yeah. Interesting. I'm, I'm curious, you know, going, going back a little ways, maybe to graduate school, like how was like learning to deal with these stressors that come with, you know, just being a scientist, like, is that something you learned in graduate school or was it well, something inherent to you even before then? Like, yeah, I mean, it's a good, uh, it's a good question. I think I had, I, I was a little bit, um, an interesting case, I guess I could tell you. So, so actually I was married before I went to graduate school. I, I got married after undergraduate and before I started graduate school and I married someone who was not in, in science and and um, and and in fact it was during a period where so between undergraduate and graduate school I spent uh, the first three years after uh, undergraduate working um, in agriculture on a farm and so it was really this kind of this farming life that I met this person and we 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 got married and and she was a little bit older than me and. And I had started working in 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 the lab, um, as I said, right before um, before I, I graduated. And I really liked this livelihood. And I kept thinking about it: what what can you really do with that? And the circumstances were that I actually had a one of my close friends growing up 
um, his, his family ran a, a potato farm, a spud farm, and, and his father had a massive heart attack. And so my very good friend said, you know what, I have to run this farm. And so I said, well, I'll help you. I had always spent some time, you know, in agriculture during the summers making money. And I enjoyed it a lot. I really have an affinity for that, working outside and working with my hands. Not too different than setting up experiments with yeah. your hands on the bench, to be honest with you, working on a combine. And um, and so anyway, the, the, the whole point being that I, so I, I did that. And then I just, and I realized I, I really like this farm work, but I, I'm not going to be a, it's not my future. I'm not going to be a farmer. I, I don't have land. I don't have a farm. I'll be a farmhand. And that's not bad. I, I could enjoy that. I could believe, I could probably feel that that would be a career. But, but you know what? This science is really interesting. I better go explore that. So I went work as a technician for uh, a couple of years, and during that period is when I exactly I, I realized, oh, I think I I want to do this biomedical science, and she didn't want anything to do with that, and she was she said, you know, I mean, I good for you, uh, that's not for me, and so of course that was heavy consideration, right? It was heavy consideration. Is this is this the path you're going to do now? And 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 I felt that if I, I it would just eat me up if I'd never explored that, you know, science as a, as a as a livelihood. I thought I would you know, eat me up down the road. And so I, uh, we made this decision. It was that, well, yes, we're going to split up. And so for me, going to graduate school came at a big cost, you know, personal cost in terms yeah. of that relationship. And so I really felt that that just springboarded me into, into, into graduate school. I went with a defined mission, right? It wasn't, it, I was very serious because, you know, it had, it had some consequences and I wanted to, you know, and, and, and I felt pretty strong about my decision, and I wanted to know that I did the right thing. So I went, and I, and I had no, I, I didn't, I don't think, I was a little bit older, right? I had taken five years off from undergraduate, um, and I felt that I just, that's what I wanted to do, and I had, it, 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 you know, it had taken some energy and cost to do it, and I was going to make the most of it. So I happily hit, hit it, hit it hard. And, and I, I, you know, and I was, I, that's, that's, that's what I did. I just really focused hard on it. And, and that's where I think, you know, if I, if it was, it wasn't that I had a life, you know, in a social setting and, and set up and that I was going to try to fit my PhD into the, uh, an existing life that I had. I was, you know, I was going to start anew and, 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 and start with this, this program. And, and as a graduate program director, I think it's interesting too, because I, what, I, what I see, what I think a lot about, as I've had a graduate program director, we've taken a lot of students that come in uh, from, from Colorado, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the questions I always ask them, we always ask, not just us, everywhere is, you know, why us? Why are you applying to our graduate program in immunology? You know, your Colorado, it's a good program. We think it's a good program. We feel it's a good program. But why do you want to join it? And the answer is, well, why not? You're just down the road from us <laughs> where I live, right? That's not what we want to hear. We want, you know, we want it to be, this is, this is the reason because you guys are good. Or, and, so, and so part of that is, 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 is what I realized was that we've taken, and I've had a number of uh, students, I've had several students in my lab get their PhD that were from Colorado and did great. No, no issue. But the, but, but the point I saw was when someone is living here as a technician previously, mm -hmm. 
they have a social life and they have a social structure and they, they, things, are, you know, things are going well. They're making money as a technician maybe and now they decide to go to graduate school and they still have that same life but they have to shift their, 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 their life a little bit to start with classes and everything versus someone who picks up, moves to Colorado in August and say, as of today, I'm starting graduate school and that's my focus, right? That's a little bit different. And so, and so, and so, I think that that's that's one of the one of the things when we, we need to hear then from from someone who is local. At least what I like to hear from someone who is local that wants to go to graduate school. You know, what are your reasons really, and are they true reasons that you you want to go to graduate school? Because it's not, it's not you know, it's not so easy to fit a PhD into an existing lifestyle. No, I I, I like that because, yeah, for me, I was, I, I guess. Last year when I was thinking about it, it wasn't, I didn't see it as a sacrifice, you know, yeah. I, I was just following, following the science, yeah. you know, and I, yeah, yeah. I I thought Denver was a really cool place with the mountains and Wisconsin doesn't have any of that. Yeah. I, I thought that was really cool too, but it wasn't, yeah, it was, I think that's a really cool point you bring up to like think about as a director because I could see how that would be problematic because for me, now that I get here, it it is a tremendous sacrifice for me because I, my, all my closest friends and family are a long ways away. And I, in a lot of ways have to start from ground zero again and just build up. And, um, it has been tough, you know, but, but, but I came here for the primary reason to to become a scientist and I don't regret it at all, you know? And and it's not this, I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a big advocate of, of work-life balance. Right. And I think that it's, it's imperative. I think you can not, have a balance, right? And and I know that that's very important for everyone. And, and it's always been very important to me. I, I've always thought work-life balance will be, will be very important. But I never felt that I should have, I, I could have work-life balance when I was early on because I needed to I needed to advance myself in this area. And I had needed to show my, you know, I, I you know, you, you there's a lot of reasons... You could do science, and you could get a degree, and you could work at the bench for your whole career, in a in a very positive, nice way. That is that I think is is um, it would be great for you that you that give you a lot of worth and and, and be a great great way to make a living, um, where you don't necessarily have to direct your own research, right? So you could find an area of staff scientist, and I thought about that too. The livelihood of bench work. I, I like it. There's something about just experimentation that is very, very, for me, very satisfying. And so, so I could see there's a lot of paths where I just want to do experimentation. And as you probably realize, not very many faculty are at the bench, no. right? And, and that's sort of the big surprise. That's, I, I can really say that's the big surprise for, for most of us as well, that, oh, you have been working very hard at the bench for a long time. Um, and now all of a sudden you you get to this position and you uh, slowly have to start pulling back and writing up the experiments that you and your trainees are getting, or you have to start writing grants, um, and, and 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 suddenly you 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 step back from from the actual bench work. And then, do you like that? Yeah. 
you know, can you do that? It's a big difference. It's a right? it's a big difference. But 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 this work life balance point. Getting back to it is is then I went to graduate school. I said, well, I just need to learn all these things, right? I didn't. I mean, and I and I it was all new to me, uh, molecular biology, and I was learning immunology and and trying to understand how to do this molecular biology. I worked hard. As a postdoc, I never worked probably harder. But it wasn't where it was, I mean, it was a thing where we were an international group of people in Cologne, Germany, just a couple of Germans out of a dozen postdocs, maybe. So it was pretty international. And our colleagues were our friends, and they were our, kind of our lives. We, it was all about that. And we all said, this is, we're, we're, we're working hard because we got lots to get done. And we don't want to be here in this position as a postdoc forever. I don't want to be a graduate student forever, but I want to do the best job I can. And I and I didn't feel that I had the luxury of being able to take, you know, that was me personally, that I needed to, I, I needed to just, at this point in my life, I just need to keep my head down and, 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 and prove myself. And I got to get to this point where people said, okay, he has, you know, what it takes maybe to, to push science forward. And with the idea down the road, I'm going to have some work-life balance. And that's very important to me, especially, you know, and that's where I see myself now is I've really worked hard and now I have, I'm in a position to have work-life balance and that, 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 that is meaningful. I don't know if I could have done it before. I, I suffered like I, when I was a graduate student all the time. And I tell my students this all the time. I know what it's like. You're working in lab and you're looking out at those mountains and you say, why can't I be out there? Yeah. And then you're, and that kind of, you know, messes up with your, your experiments a little bit, just that mental attitude, or I shouldn't be here, I don't want to be here. And then it's the vice versa. When you're out there on the slopes or out on the trail, man, maybe I should be in the lab. It's like and that skills. ruins yeah. that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so, and so the point is, is you really, one of the things is to work hard and keep those separated. Take that time off, because it is important. I can't, you know, I... I I'm a firm believer of getting out and doing something and baselining. You can't direct your attention and your thoughts 100% towards science. That's, you just, that can't, that doesn't work for me. I, I think a lot about it, but not all the time. And so, and so I do need that break and, and pulling back. And, and like I said, and so, and so when I, I started off, I, I, I felt that work-life balance was important. But at the beginning, I think I felt I just needed to put in these dues. I, I wasn't in a position. How could I take some time off? I could take time off, sure. But it's going to be at the expense of me getting further down the road. Yeah. And, and so I, I was willing to say I'm going to postpone so much time off where I, 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 my getting it, you know, going down the road and, and, and accomplishing something is going to be more important at this point in my life. It's more it's going to be as useful as what I need to do. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm curious. This is a little bit different from what you're talking about. But where did you, where did you grow up? Did you grow up around? So, so Utah? I was no, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was. Uh, it's really interesting. I was born in Peru. Okay. So my my um, uh, my family, my nuclear family, my father, my mother, and I had two older sisters, and I was uh, had just been born. Um, my father was a uh, physician. He got a medical degree in Peru. Uh huh. And his first job out of medical school was working as the company physician for a Denver mining company up in the Andes. 
right? Wow. So, so Denver, of course, is mining is big in Denver has historically been very big, and they've had you know, and and in the Andes they 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 mine a lot, and so so Denver mining companies were down in Denver, and they hired my father, and then they gave him an opportunity to come to uh, the U.S. for training. And so and so he convinced my mother, who I don't think was very interested in coming, close to her family. She had three kids under the age of five, um, didn't speak English, and but he convinced her, let's go to the U.S. for two years. And actually what they came is they came to Denver. So it's crazy. So, so I mean, it's yeah, a really interesting, right. I mean, full I, circle. Full, uh, really crazy. And so they came here, I, and I grew up, um, and, 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 and of course, it's this classic story that they got here. And, and then I had my younger sister was born in Denver. And the classic story saying, we have to raise our kids in the States. You know, we're not going to go back to Peru. So, yeah, so they came thinking it was for two years, you know, and, and stayed and just mm. stayed. And so I grew up mostly, though, up in the Pacific Northwest, north of uh, Seattle, about an hour between okay. Seattle and, and Vancouver. So not so far from the Canadian border, really. And that's where I grew up most. Yeah, that was more all my formative years there. Grade school, high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then where, where did you do undergrad? So I did at the University of Washington. Okay. Yeah, I did it, you know, and that's, and so I did what we really advise always a lot uh, not to do, and that is don't go to graduate school when yeah. you did your undergraduate. You did it, yeah. Yeah, no, there was five years off in between, and it was, you know, and it was, and, and graduate school was more immunological than it was, it was more immunology than it was for my undergraduate, which is yeah. immunology. But still, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and I, you know, yes, and so exactly, that's. But but the point about moving around, I think, is really important. I've really benefited. I've I've worked, you know, so Seattle. I was in Cologne, Germany. Then I was in Basel, Switzerland. Yeah, that that's where I scratch my head at because, for me, coming out here, my family was, quite honestly, pretty like flabbergasted. That you, you know, left, yeah, because a lot of a lot of my family are Wisconsin, Minnesota, or yeah. Illinois, all within that, and I was like. I just I felt like this was the right move, and I was like, guys, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this, and they supported me, and, I, you know, I thought it is a little crazy because now everyone's like, I can't believe he's doing this, but then I think about your situation where you're at this point where you've graduated grad school, and now you're like, I'm gonna go to Germany. I mean, well, international is just a whole other beast. I feel like. You well, know, you know, like, so, so uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I've thought a lot about this. Yeah. So I grew up in the Pacific Northwest, right? Um, uh, agriculture community, pretty, pretty uh, Northern European in terms of a lot of the people there, Scandinavian, not a lot of Hispanics, right? And so I grew up uh, uh, as, a, as, a, as a Peruvian in, in this, you know, community. Really, I mean, very well accepted. I never felt any issues in terms of racism or anything ever. Really, growing up, I was very heavily involved in 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 school. I did sports, and I you know, and I did various things, and so and so so that was an issue. But what I realized was that you know, dinners at my house with my friends were were, and I you know would go to someone else's house for dinner. I'd say, man, dinners at my house are a lot different than dinners at my friend's house yeah. in terms of what just what's going on around the table, yeah. the action, and my you know interact. And that really always uh, I always thought about that. And so and so for me, I took the uh, advantage of of I went to my chair 
of my immunology, uh, of the immunology department when I was a graduate school, a guy named Roger Perlman. And I said, you know, Roger, I'm, um, I'm thinking about going and doing a postdoc in Europe. You know, I, I, I do. What are you going to do? I don't know. Are you going to try for a faculty position? I don't know. Maybe. I don't know if I can do it. Right. We just I just didn't know as, as often as the case, you know, or, you know, or are you going to go to pharma? And I said, well, I'm going to go do a postdoc in Europe and, and postpone that decision and see how it goes there. He goes, well, great. And I said, well, my question to you as the chair of an immunology department in Seattle, how would you look at a postdoc like myself coming from Europe who did their PhD in the U.S.? How would you look at him as a faculty candidate? And his answer is obvious in retrospect, of course. He said, well, it, it doesn't matter where you come from. It's just the science. If you do good science, that's what we're going to be looking at. We don't care where it's done. And he said, but if you go, I'll, I'll tell you, I gave me some very nice advice. He said, one is I highly recommend you go to a good lab, an internationally known scientist, okay, wherever in Europe. Mm-hmm. Number two, come back to the U.S. often. <laughs> Why? You want to go to meetings okay. every Interesting. year. Come, uh, you know, this is this networking, which I, you know, I never felt very strong about. I didn't. I wasn't a big fan of networking. You know, right? Yeah. And it's not necessarily that networking means like you're trying to find a job. It just means you're interacting with with these different people who are in this, who are B cell biologists all over the country, right? And so if you come back to the Keystone meetings or whatever the AI meetings, you're coming back every year. You're going to see those people, and you want to just keep be on their radar. And this is what he, his point was. And I was. Um, so I took that to heart, and I went, and I, 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 and I wrote, and I didn't know anyone, really, to, to speak of in terms of who I would go work with, who I'd want to work with in Europe. And at that time, pre, pre-PDFs, I opened up the European Journal of Immunology that we got every week or every month. Yeah. And I looked at the editors, and I said, oh, I, I know, I've heard of this guy, i heard of this person, I know what they're working on. And I took, I think, three of them. <laughs> And I wrote letters blind, cold. Yeah. You don't know me. I'm, you know, so-and-so working on such and such. But I'd be very interested in coming to Europe and doing a postdoc in your lab. What, what are these possibilities? And, and, and what was interesting was, of course, that I, I had a lot of interest. I mean, and, and I, my papers were just coming up. I had a couple of papers in J.I. as a first author, some other co-authorships. And, and, they, um, and only one of the J.I. papers I think would publish – but there was a big reception or big interest, and what I learned was, oh, I think it's 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 a feather in their hat to get a uh, American postdoc in their lab. It kind of it kind of says, right? If you if you can attract an American postdoc, it must mean that you're doing pretty well as a scientist, right? So these labs, I think, were were the labs at least I applied to were were quite receptive, and so I ended up I ended up going to to, to Germany. Um, Again, just thinking, I want to experience, you know, this European culture. I, that's going to be different from mine, and and um, and I want to continue doing the science, and that seemed to fit it, make it fit quite well. And I got there, you know, a lot of struggle at the beginning, right? Yeah. I, uh, also, you know, maybe is this idea that I also kind of think about more recently is that my my parents had picked up. And moved from Peru, you know, with five kids. They were in their early 30s. Um, and I'm now, you know, I've taken five years off. I'm early 30s going to Germany, right? It's a similar situation. Yeah, that's interesting. Email had just started. I, had, I could email with select few people, maybe two or three people 
not any of my family, none of them had email, but, but a couple of, but a, 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 you know, a postdoc and a, a couple of friends from, from the university graduate school. And I went there and I just, I, you know, yes, it was a big realization, you know, I've been thinking about my parents, you know, they came, they had to write a letter, send it, maybe three months before someone came back, for, you know, uh, long distance phone calls were prohibitive. And, and I tell you, I just thought about that. And I said, my God, you know, that's incredible. Um, my respect for them just soared thinking about that when I went to Germany. Yeah. I had this e- email that I could get relatively quick responses from select few people, right, back at home that helped me adjust and I could immediately. But if I didn't have that, you know, if I had to write a letter and then wait a few months for a return, I, you know, that, I, I thought that would be really tough. But I enjoyed it right away, and I liked it very much, and I've always liked living, living there. And um, I, as I said, I met uh, Roberta, who came as a postdoc from Milan when I was there, and then we moved together to, uh, to Basel. And I worked at the Basel Institute for Immunology, and she, it, we lived in Basel, Switzerland, and she uh, went up the road an hour to Freiburg, Germany, and she worked at the Max Planck Institute for Immunobiology. And, and, and so we, we, worked, we worked there, and from there we came here in in 2001, after about 10 years. I went 92 and came back in 2001. Yeah. Hmm. Well, that's great. I I think, I, I feel like I've kind of touched <laughs> on everything I wanted to yeah, touch on. Yeah, well, good. Like, no, nice. No, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. I like, it's fascinating and <laughs> really good to get to talk to you. Yeah, yeah, no, Jeremy, exactly. No, I, you know, we, we met, um, we first met, I think, at the pre-interview. Yeah, over Zoom. Right? Over Zoom, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I remember exactly saying, "Oh, this is Jeremy. He's an interesting guy. I like you exactly." <laughs> so I was really, and I think at that time I I was uh, participating in admissions, but again I wasn't running the program anymore. So I I was I'm a step removed now from understanding. But and then I they sent out an email. Jeremy is coming. I know, good. Yeah. Nice, yeah. nice to see. <laughs> well, that's great. Good. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Well, no, really, absolutely. Really a pleasure. Nice. It. Nice to. Nice to participate. Thanks for asking me. Yeah, for sure. So I was really, and I think at that time I I was uh, participating in admissions, but again I wasn't running the program anymore. So I I was I'm a step removed now from understanding. But and then I they sent out an email. Jeremy is coming. I know. Good. Yeah. yeah. Nice, nice to see. <laughs> Well, that's great. Good. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Well, no, really, absolutely. Really a pleasure. Really nice. It. Nice to. Nice to participate. Thanks for asking me. Yeah, for sure. All right. I think we're rocking and rolling here. This is Ethan. <laughs>